Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is May 7th, and our chapter for today is Nehemiah chapter 5. Well, let's review so that we don't forget where we are in the great story of Nehemiah. Remember that Ezra had gone back 14 years earlier, had taken wealth, great wealth from Persia and gone back to the city of Jerusalem. He had restored worship and routines that led to righteousness, but he had just begun to do that. After 14 years, the walls were still not rebuilt because all Ezra was trying to do was just to restore the spiritual foundation, first of all. And so the book of Nehemiah opens up with Nehemiah getting word from his brother Hanani in chapter 1 that had spent some time in Jerusalem, had come back to his base there in Persia, and he was talking with his brother, Nehemiah, and he was asked by Nehemiah, well, how is the city? You've been telling me about what Ezra has been doing and how that there is a sense of restoration of spiritual realities. But what about the city itself, Hanani? Is it is it beginning to be rebuilt? And Hanani gave him a horrible report. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. There's no security there. The city is lying in ruins after still over a hundred years. It is still in ruins. And uh, the great city of David is now in great need of repair. And this threw Nehemiah into depression. He was sad. And this was a bad time because Nehemiah was one of the cupbearers of the king. And that means he was in a very close, sensitive relationship to the king. He had to taste his wine, and the king watched that. He had to taste his food so that it wasn't just Nehemiah's word. He had to see that he was not going to die and kill over there. So they went through a procedure for that. And as I shared before, the kings of Persia were so full of themselves, and their culture was that if you were in the presence of the king, working for the king, you ought to be happy. Well, this ought to tell us something, certainly. This ought to be true with the children of the great king, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. We ought to be joyful in what we're doing, and that's a good expectation. Even when we are broken, we need to at least understand that we are privileged just to know God in a personal way. So this is the kings of Persia. These earthly potentates believe that just it was such an honor, you ought to be happy all the time. And so the king noticed that Nehemiah was not killing over, but his countenance had fallen. He was very sad. And it'd been four months since this had happened. Now he was in the rotation. He was tasting and and he had never been sad in the presence of the king. And so now the king said, hey, wait just a minute. You look healthy. So this is not poisoning here. The food's not bad. You have, you're depressed. There's sorrow in your heart. What's this all about, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah had been praying. And so he told him immediately, well, what about if your father's graves were being destroyed and not being taken care of. Now, he didn't say that outright, but he said, well, the reason I'm sad is I can't take care of my father's tombs. 
And again, just by way of review, this was a very sensitive issue to the Persians because they believed that you needed to take care of the estate of your ancestors. And so Nehemiah knew that. He had heard this. He was steeped in the culture of the Persians, and he said the right thing at the right time. And that took a lot of preparation. And for four months, he had been praying, seeking the face of God, and God had given him a plan. He had seen the king be generous, and he had seen the king be ruthless and harsh. And so as they all can be. And so when the king said, Nehemiah, what can I do? He was a solutions man. He said, what can I do to help you? Nehemiah had a plan. He needed passage. He needed protection. He needed provision. He needed the king's blessing, all of these things. And the king did it for him. He had to give him a time period. He gave him a time period. He said, I'm going to go back, build me a house. I'm going to build the walls up. I'm going to prepare a place. And and this was a critical time. You've got to understand the world history. Artaxerxes was on the downswing of the kingdom. And it, it had a revival here and there with the kings after him. But Artaxerxes was really fighting a rebellion in uh, Egypt at this time. And remember, Israel, that place we called Israel, that landmass, is the land between Asia and Africa. It's the land bridge. And if you're going to go from one to the other, you've got to go through Israel. And so it's a critical passage point. You see, God put all that together. I mean, after all, it's his world. It's his land. And so uh, God created Israel with such strategic uh, geographical importance. And so here this land bridge was, the land between the two continents and uh, that fertile crescent. And so Artaxerxes knew how important this was if he was ever going to control Egypt and squash the rebellion there. And so when Nehemiah, knowing, being very well aware of the historical and geographical and cultural context where he was, he said, basically, he and Ezra both, if, if you'll send us over there, we will rebuild this and we'll be loyal to you, not to the Egyptians, and you can use us as a stopgap so that we can stop the onslaught of those who want to destroy your kingdom. Now, you see, all of this is unsaid, but all you have to do is read your history books and you can understand the milieu and the cultural context behind this. You see... All of history is his story. And so even in secular, mundane politics, God uses all of that stuff to get people where they need to be. So let's quit fighting all of this. Let's just let God be God and do what he needs to do. And he's given you, he's given me the wisdom to know how to do what we're doing, when we need to do it. And if we don't know what to do in trials, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any man lacks wisdom concerning a trial or a situation that you're in, if any man lacks wisdom, that is looking at life from God's perspective, seeing God's point of view and everything, if we need God's perspective, if we need God's point of view, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. God is waiting. He is just waiting for us to ask him. And he's not going to hide it from us. He's going to give it to us. And the Bible says he will do it. Now, I love what the King James says, and upbraideth not. Now, nobody knows what upbraideth not means in our culture. Let me put you just down on gut level where we all are. That verse reads something like this, if I could paraphrase it. If any man wants to know what God wants him to do and how to look at a situation, let him talk to God and ask him to communicate with God 
And God will give you that wisdom that you're asking for, that perspective that you're asking for liberally. He'll overflow it to you, and he won't fuss at you for asking. God's not mad when you ask why. I'm telling you this. I hear this more as a pastor. Oh, pastor, I know I'm not supposed to ask why. You know, I know God doesn't want us to ask why. No, that's your daddy. That's your mama that said, you do it because I say so, and it's none of your business. Why? We got that from our parents. We got that from our culture. We didn't get that from the Bible. God says, if you want to know something, ask me. He knows it all. He knows better than that counselor you're going to. He knows better than that pastor you're going to. Ask God. He'll give you the answer in his word. He'll give you the answer through his spirit, and it'll never be in contradiction to his word. We need to ask God who gives to all men freely, and he won't fuss at us for asking. If it was sin, if it was wrong, if it was inappropriate to ask why, then the Lord Jesus himself would have been in violation of that principle. Why? Why am I saying that? Because Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why? Now, he's the son of God. And if he needs to ask why, surely you and I do. And so it's okay to ask why. Don't ever say again, well, I know God doesn't want me to ask why. Read the Bible. God's people ask why throughout the Bible. It's replete with times when God's people ask why. And it's not even a doubting why. It's God, I need perspective. I need wisdom. And so this is what's going on here in chapter 5. They're going against this great man and this great plan that God had given to Nehemiah, that the king of Persia had blessed and encouraged and funded. They were right on track. But when you're right on track with God, no one who is not walking with God likes it. They don't like it. You see, you can really tell if somebody is truly walking with God, they're going to rejoice when God's work's being done, even if it's by somebody that's different than them. This is all the way through the book of Nehemiah. This ought to give us a clue. You see, many times, oh, I want to tell you story after story, but I don't have time to do it. But let me just give you a short one. I'm just going to tell you one little story because, you see, when I was pastoring in Arkansas, it came time for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. If you're a Southern Baptist, you understand what that is. It was a special offering that we took up for what we used to call home missions, uh, North American missions, not outside of our own land, but inside of our land. And that year, there was an emphasis on uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and the black population of Youngstown how that we need to give so that we could reach the blacks from Youngstown, Ohio. Well, the Arkansas town I was pastoring in at that time was between eight and nine people you would meet on the street of the city that where I was were black. They were black. The color of their skin was black. And so when I went in there, I didn't pay any attention to that. I just went knocking on doors and building relationships with people. And 120 black people prayed to receive Jesus. And I started baptizing them in the church. And you would have thought that I had cursed God. I've never seen such a row in my life. I was threatened. My children were threatened. It was the first time I ever came across demonic racism. I'm talking about demonic racism. I'm not talking about prejudice. I'm not talking about slang words. I'm talking about not believing these people that had colored skin different than white skin, Caucasians, even had a soul. 
I had never dealt with anything like that before in my life. I had known prejudice, but I had never known demonic racism. And what I learned was that these people that were praying for the blacks in Youngstown, Ohio, to be saved and that we were to give our money to wouldn't walk across the street to shake hands or talk to a man about Jesus of black skin in the city where we live. Well, needless to say, I didn't. I don't have much tact now, but I really didn't then. And I, they asked me to come and speak. That was a mistake for them and for me. Because when I read what it was all about, and I had been threatened, my life had been threatened, my wife had been threatened, my my one son that we only had one child then, two year old. They told me not to let him play in the yard by himself, or we wouldn't see him again. My wife got a vulgar calls. One of the people that worked with the post office, they wouldn't even shake hands with me because I would shake hands with the black people that were sitting out on the sidewalk before I came in, and he was afraid that my hand would touch his as he handed me the mail, so he put it down on one end of the bar when he saw me coming in of the desk. Now, folks, what I'm telling you is we need to pray that when others that name the name of Jesus are being blessed, we need to rejoice. You say, well, yeah, but, you know, uh, uh, we need to build our church. No, it's not our church. Jesus said he would build the church. It's his church. And we need to rejoice. And what was happening was these people would pray for revival. I mean, really, I know they were sincere. They were praying in that town for revival. God answered their prayer. He just sent it to the wrong color. Now, folks, this is typical. If we're going to do the work of God, we need to rejoice. Well, you don't see these people rejoicing. The walls of the city was being built, and this was good for everybody except the people that had been in control and that were calling the shots. And so by the time we get to chapter 5, it is a full-blown war. And when Nehemiah comes up against the enemy, he deals with it in chapter 4. We just saw that. Now, they were threatening in chapter 2. Chapter 3, Nehemiah laid everybody out at the walls, according to families. Chapter 4, uh, it all broke loose. Nehemiah had to uh, strap on swords to everyone. But comes chapter 5, we've got another problem, and this time it's on the inside. Can you believe it? The people of God, in the midst of all this blessing, were oppressing their own people. They were robbing their own people with usury. Usury is interest rate to the nth degree. And these people were just trying to do the work of God and live, and there were some among them that were getting rich off of the unfortunate circumstance of these people. In other words, they were building the walls. They came back. They didn't have anything, and these people had gotten back, and they were entrepreneurial, and they had land, and they were charging people unbelievable interest rates. And Nehemiah just simply said in verse 8, then they were silenced and found nothing to say because Nehemiah said, we're going to put a stop to this. Thank God for Nehemiahs. Thank God for men with have courage in the pulpit today. Oh, Pastor, we need love. Yes, we need loving courage. You see, when we love people, we love them enough to tell them the truth. And so it says, Nehemiah said to them, verse 9, chapter 5, What are you doing? What you are doing is not good. Lotov. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Well, they weren't thinking. 
I also, with my brother and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. And not only that, he said, I want you to stop it, and then I want you to restore what you've taken from these people because it's nothing more than theft. It's nothing more than robbery. It's nothing more than taking from people more than you should. And so Nehemiah said, look, we're lending people money, and we're not charging them anything. Why? They're our brothers, and they're our sisters. We need to help them. We're in this thing together. We're not in it to make money. Boy, 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 could I stop right here. But I'm not going to because I want to get to verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed governor, this is Nehemiah, in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year, for 12 years, he was the governor under King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. In other words, Nehemiah could have been taking money the entire time and just living the life of Riley. He could just been at ease, but he wasn't doing it. He was sharing that with others. In other words, he was sharing the blessing with others. Leaders, this is critical. Elders, this is critical. Deacons, this is critical. Pastors, lead elders, teachers, this is critical. We need to see where our people are, and if they're bleeding, we need to help them. If they're hurting, we need to help them. And whatever it takes, whatever it takes to serve the people and bless the people, we need to get on with it. Why? Because they're the ones that are getting the work done. That's the way it happens. It happened that way then, and it happens that way now. Let's take some lessons from Nehemiah as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.